You're listening to The Underground Podcast, a platform to inspire, encourage, and stir up kingdom mission. Our aim is to resource you, the listener, with discussions that empower your calling to follow Jesus in every unique context of life. My name is Leanne Tyvett, and on today's episode, Brian Sanders and I are joined by Hugh Halter. Hugh is an author, speaker, and founder of The Lantern Network, a missional movement in Alton, Illinois. I guess I wanted to I want to set up this conversation because you know I had a chance to come to Alton and maybe maybe even as we talk you can share a little of that story how you ended up there but um, everybody knows that you have a heart for evangelism everybody knows you love lost people I mean not everybody but people who know you a people few people who, people who, who read that, you yes. and follow you um, but I feel. I felt sort of moved and I, I don't impressed is not the right word. I felt a new admiration for you, just being with you. And of course I had the chance to see you at your house with this oh, gathering right, yeah. of You're with the boys. Yeah, these these men who you can tell the story, but you know, who you've you've made relationships over time through CrossFit and whatever. And to just watch you with a room full of mostly non-believing people who respect you or hang on your every word. I mean, it was just remarkable. I, you know, because I know that Christians struggle, often struggle so hard to even have one meaningful relationship with non-believers. And then in that relationship to always feel kind of an awkwardness yeah. in talking about Jesus, in being who they really are. And, and then I just see this complete inversion in you, in your life, where you are just, you know, boldly who you are, almost cocky. Um, you're, not, you're not sheepish, and you're sort of, you throw yourself into evangelism. You throw yourself into these relationships, and people respond. These oh, m- like I'm getting inspired about me by men in particular. the way you're talking about me right now. Like, and, and and not this good. The, this is all to set up. This is all to set up. Not to not to just blow blow uh, wind up your skirt here. But this is all to say, I want to ask you about your heart. I want to ask you what you do and what you have done over the course of your life. Because surely we get more accolades. We get more, um, uh, you know, ministry approval from Christians. You know, it's not like non-Christians are calling us every day and saying, come right. speak to our, yep. our group or whatever. And yet somehow you've cultivated this heart, this posture, this, there's something about who you are. And maybe that's just the gifting. I don't know, you were born with it or whatever, or it's, but I feel like there's, there's something I want to figure out about you, who you are, the man you are, how you've become this way. If, 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 if I have a hunger to, nurture the little evangelists inside me yeah. or those of us that are committed deeply committed to not just evangelism but mission in general the, the coming of the kingdom i need you to help me understand who you are how you became this way and, and what do you do to cultivate that kind of heart which is it's it's like you love these guys you love them and they know it and they see it and you speak from that place of authority so just just anyway just free form just whatever well, I was just, while you were talking, I checked out as you were talking nice about me. Okay, good. Because yeah. it was getting awkward. So, but I actually was thinking, 
where where did I come up with this? Um, and it was it was actually during seminary prep to be in ministry, and I got kicked out of my counseling program by a prof that knew me, watching me do an actual counseling thing. And he said, you're not a counselor. And he said, I think you're an evangelist. So literally, that's where it all changed for me. Hmm. I'd never had anybody identify a gift in me or whatever. I had a, a really bad fear of public speaking. So I actually knew I was called to something. Um, but I didn't ever want to talk for God. So I was in a bit of a pickle. <laughs> so it was. I thought, well, I guess counseling. And so... It was being forced out of that program by a friend who was a pastor. It was a prof there that went, look, try something that would get at your evangelism gift. And I asked him, like, what are, okay, what are my options? And he goes, why don't you try Youth for Christ? Like, maybe youth. And I told him, I don't even like <laughs> high school kids. He's like, I know, but just, and I did. I connected with a guy, and we had a good talk, and I was like, oh. literally, I was just trying it. And so I ended up being a... Um, YFC staff for 10 years and cutting my teeth, you know, fearfully going to, call, you know, high school campuses, walking into cafeterias. I hated it every time. I felt I was fearful. I was uncomfortable. Um, but I just, you know, I actually was good at it. Like when I finally got there with the kids, I still didn't like, I never liked kids. I still don't. Um, Except but your I, own, of course. But yeah, but I would start to love them. I would, you know, and so um, that's where I really cut my teeth. And it was, you know, in that environment, you're with 99% non-Christian. So I think it's more when you're starting to try to develop. Like I hear pastors all the time, well, I'm not like you, Hugh. Well, I have to tell them I didn't think I was like me either mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of evangelism, this could be where Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, do the work. Yeah, I know you don't like to, but while I'm gone, do the work of the evangelist. It's work. A lot of other aspects of ministry are not necessarily work, where getting in front of people, just the relational social connection is hard work and is very awkward for some people, and it was for me. I'm an introvert. Um, I always was pretty insecure growing up. But it was over time just putting myself in places where I was always uncomfortable. I started to realize I actually am finding some natural flow in that. So, you know, it's probably five, seven years in, I went, I remember thinking, I'm actually not bad at this because a lot of kids have come to the Lord. Um, and then some things happened with their parents where the first time adults came to faith were the parents of these kids going, what have you been doing with my kids? And I'd find myself in their living room going, you know, we're just telling them about Jesus. And remember when I'd say the word Jesus, it would roll off my tongue. It was at first like dancing with a strange woman. It's always felt, but when it would roll off and I would just kind of say it, people would respond. And then I start, you know, but, it, you know, it's one out of ten it responds, right? So you still have more losses and wins, but you start to, in, in a few wins. It's not like you get more bold and obnoxious. You just get more faith-filled. Like, mm -hmm. I think God really does do this with people. So, mm -hmm. but that's where it really did start for me. Um, after 10 years of YFC, um, it then moved into more of a church form. So that's when we planted our first church. And, uh, and that's when Ryan's epilepsy was going full tilt. Um, and uh, 
you know, now we were actually just having to do life in our home and just open up our front door. And all of a sudden, now I was focused on, I really want to see my neighbors come to faith. And so, so talk to me about that. I mean, so you're planning a church, which can be a very sort of Christian labor intensive uh-huh. enterprise. And yet you kept that fire burning for your neighbors, for lost people. Mm-hmm. Was that conscious? I mean, was it like, I have to do this because I feel this draw now towards this Christian work ethic where I have to be doing, I have to be preaching, I have to be running classes, yeah. I have to be creating programs, whatever. Was that was that sort of like consciously difficult or is, or is this just sort of like, this is who I am, this is what I have to always be? No, actually it was, we were, we had, decided to plant not to do church stuff we were planting because of all the people that had come to faith hmm. in yfc and we had tried to plug them into local churches and it was terrible they were they were mean to our right. new converts right. so i literally to me when i when i talk about evangelism i can't separate it from church hmm. evangelism is creating space for god's community to come together hmm. like where we always think about church as my sheep Jesus goes, look, knuckleheads, I have sheep that you don't even know about. Like, Jesus sees sheep everywhere, all around us. For me, church was creating space for God to bring his sheep in. So church planning was never, I'm trying to build a church. Interesting. Um, it was, hmm. I got to create community for these people I love. So by then, it really is, a, it's a visceral love. I, I will do anything to help these people find community and to help their friends find what you guys have just found. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel that way about church. I, I don't think there's any particular power in church mm. evangelistically unless you see it as God bringing his sheep together. What, what an interesting uh, point. I mean, I think even even maybe my question betrays some sort of polarity that churches for Christians and evangelism is something you do with non-Christians, which is outside the right. church. It's, it isn't, you know, yeah. even I'm sort of thinking of it as something that is a satellite yes. of the church. And you're saying, why? What? Isn't the church also event? Isn't it in its essence? Yeah. Now, I will say this. I do, you know, some of the people listening to this might go, well, timeout, halters, blurring the line. I do believe there's a moment of conversion. Mm-hmm. I think scripturally there's, Apparently, there's a time where our names are written in a Lamb's Book of mm-hmm. Life, and we cross from death to life. Yeah. So I do believe in a moment of conversion. I just don't know if we are wise or healthy to try to define when that is. And so in reality, it blurs the lines between what we call pre-evangelism, you know, evangelism, which leads to discipleship. I actually am still an unbeliever in a lot of things related to Jesus. So mm-hmm. I go, I view church as where God draws his sheep, the unbelievers, and we, over time, put, I mean, literally, to evangelize means to good news, Mm -hmm. to gospel somebody. And there's times where after 17 years of being with Jesus, I finally get good news about, oh, I can trust God with my, my, Caesar Kalinowski had the definition of a disciple, somebody that learns to grow from unbelief to belief in every aspect of their life. So Mm -hmm. for me, church isn't where the believers finally go. It's where all the unbelievers are learning to, to believe. Yeah. To believe. Mm-hmm. And that means, so that, to me, that's evangelism. It's, and yes, there's these moments of sure. conversion. I hear you. Yeah. But there's also moments of conversion to where our, you know, even to take on the mission of God, to mm. give God trust of our money, to stop finally sleeping around because we're afraid mm. God will never give us a life mate or 
Well, it just um, there's a million aspects of our life. So, does that? I mean, does that maybe explain a little of what I saw? You know, in your living room, it's kind of like, you know, if a if a, a Christian leader gets up in front of a room full of Christians, they feel a certain authority to teach, to encourage, to challenge, right. whatever. They, they take leadership over that. And yet you take that same person, you put them at the PTA or you put them in the, the gym and they, they, they cower in the corner because they think, well, I don't, I don't have the, the juice here right. to lead. And yet that is, that is not the case with you. you. You're the same man, whether you're in front of, you know, at a conference speaking in a seminar or at your gym with a bunch of guys talking about how to be a, a real man. Yeah. And I, is that because, in a sense, you feel like I'm, I'm, this is church. I'm having church here yeah. with my... Yeah, it's just like the, the guys in our house. I just picture that. Uh, now, not obviously, I'm not Jesus, but I'm a Jesus figure mm-hmm. with disciples that barely know anything mm-hmm. and don't really believe much. Uh, it, the difference being I'm also an unbeliever with those guys, too. So it encourages me to be with these lost friends because I'm just like them. I'm barely, I'm just a few yards down the trail in front of them and so I don't have to they're not my potential converts they're my mates they're people that I might live 30 years with and some of them may cross from death to life Uh, I I certainly would expect but I know many of them won't but they'll remain my mates and maybe I'll have some influence on their marriage or whatever it is but um, for me, you know, even the evangelist success, a lot of my friends come to the Lord. I actually tell people I've never really led anybody to the Lord. I, I don't, you know, back in the YFC days, I kind of would pray with some freshmen in the car where I felt like I was closing the deal. Not only is that theologically not even an option, I, I can't close the deal. So now I just, it's evangelism is creating space where people who are trying to find God can find them. So let's just take those guys in my living room. I think God is drawing those men. Okay, so and I have to assume God's been drawing those men way before the halters moved to Alton 30 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. a year ago. So God's been in their lives actively hovering around their circumstances and he knows them. I'm just now in the path with them. And so I create a space where they can finally maybe move forward, where maybe nobody's ever even prompted a conversation as men. So literally, out of hundreds of my friends have come to faith in my home, in our missional community, in our network of communities. Um, and I don't know if I can remember anybody that actually said, I led my friend to the Lord. Hmm. Their friends would say, hey, I want you to know, like, walk with me. I, I really want to follow. So... That's what most people have said to me. Hey, can we go out for lunch? Um, some stuff going on in my life. I want to run by you. And, and they'll reference some Jesus conversation we've had. And they'll go, hey, can you help? Like, I think I want to do this. And then it's just been, it's almost been like just, wow, yeah, God's been at work. Yes, I will keep helping you move forward. So you do have a way of, of talking about this stuff that makes it sound easy. You know, I guess that's that's part of the definition of true genius is something com- making something complex sound simple. Um, but I mean, is it so easy for you? Do you? What have you done? I don't know, just as a discipline or as a an approach to your own life and the cultivation of your own heart to keep this fire burning in you or this this love 
because it does seem to me like there's always going to be a pull, some sort of tr- centrifugal force pulling you inward towards Christians when you're in the Christian world and reading and writing mm-hmm. books and so on. What do you do? Is it that easy for you? I, I say it's reps. Okay. <laughs> it's reps. It's reps with real lost people. Hmm. So, I mean, most people have read Tangible Kingdom, you know, if they know me, and they know that one woman in an Irish bar, one rep, three nights in a row with this woman, I started to love her story so much, I couldn't not tell her. Our move to Alton was one waitress at an Italian bar. So I go, God's directed our life and path because we had reps with lost people, and they impacted, like when we would look at, I just, when I meet people, I can kind of tell who's going to be in my life. I've, I've seen people on TV and I have this weird, like, I'm going to know that person. <laughs> and then I do, I run into some celebrity at a grocery store and we have a cool talk and they end up being a part of our mission. Like, so that might be a, you know, evangelism 401 level where you're actually, you're getting antennas to know when God is connecting you. But most of the you know getting there was we just spent most of our time with lost people so when people tell me well i don't have the gift of evangelism i go you probably just don't know it yet you haven't put in the time so if if you go i don't even have a heart like i'll be honest i don't even like lost people i like found people i go where your treasure is or your heart will be Mm -hmm. if you go to get on a plane and you go to nicaragua and you hang out in a dump community of you're going to probably fly back with a heart for kids that grow up in a dump in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think people can develop a heart for lost by, you know, in some accountable structure. could be a micro church, a typical church small group to just go, look, for whatever may happen, why don't we commit this year to just giving most of our time to lost friends and neighbors. Let's learn how to be humans again. I do f- find people that go, I, I have changed. Um, I didn't have a, I have, I've always had a natural heart for lost. I haven't always had a natural heart for the poor. Mm-hmm. So I had to start pushing myself and go, Halter, start spending time. And indeed, now I have a heart for the poor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. reps. And it's, I mean, part of the implication of what you're saying is that there may be latent evangelists in the church that just haven't had the exposure, enough exposure yeah. to the right environments where that thing comes alive or that that mm-hmm. gift is stirred up they think well i have to be i guess i'll be a counselor i guess i'll try to preach or i'll try to lead because those are the only those are the only options that are really out there if you really love god and you really want to give your whole life to yeah. to the to the work of ministry or mission yeah. these 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 closed door meetings with christians is is what we see right one thing about it too why do we feel more comfortable with the non-evangelistic stuff reps yeah that's right we study yeah. we do bible studies yeah. we develop our own personal devotion mm-hmm. time we spend countless hundreds thousands of hours reading scripture and so yeah of course we're going to feel more comfortable there yeah and the first time somebody gets up to preach they're probably they probably are horrible at it yeah. and yet they don't quit on it they think i'm going to keep trying yeah. until i get this down and then yes. then one day they wake up and think i have the gift of preaching well it's reps i yeah. guess yeah, yeah. <coughs> fair enough I mean, do you do you ever feel drawn or pulled away from these lost people that you love, and how do you deal with that? No, I you just don't. I fight more of the opposite. <laughs> you do, I know. I, well, because lost people are, you know, as Jesus would look on them, 
as sheep without a shepherd, how do you lose your heart for people that mm -hmm. don't know what they don't know? And it's easy to not judge them because they're just doing all they can do to make it through life. So I, I, I fight judgment much more with those that know enough, you know. So, yeah. It strikes me, too, that you're some, some, some sort of secret to your um, sustained love for people is that you take joy in it. I mean, it, it, it strikes me that it's it's one source of abiding joy in your life, your particular life. And maybe that's one of the secrets that the church world is just missing out well, on. I'd say it's the only thing that's kept me going, honestly, yeah. um, is they're just fun. And I, I do believe it's the greatest miracle. Like, mm -hmm. I still think about why I even believe in Jesus. I think it's like a freaking <laughs> supernatural <laughs> miracle that somehow... You know, God put people in my life that would cause me to actually buy this story. It's a revolutionary story. Yeah. Crazy. It's mind-blowing if you really think about it. Yeah. God's always been there, and he actually is mindful of us. It's like, how do you even have... Um, it's equally mind-blowing to think that there is no God, to think that we're just here. So to me, it's a, it's a, it's a supernatural story that you meet somebody on the street corner to actually think that God has been in pursuit of them and knows them intimately and actually might have had some way to move me into their space. What an unbelievable, like who wouldn't want that? Um, and then to then someday see them come to faith and have stuff change in their family because on one given hour of a Tuesday afternoon, you know, he moves you into somebody's, and it changes the course of history for legacies. Mm. Of I just go, so who wouldn't want to try their hand at that and be a part of that? So mm. will, will we all be great at it? No. And by the way, you know, if I can look back at maybe a few hundred of my own friends that have come to faith, that's over 25 years. That's not, that's not a lot per year. And many other hundreds, thousands of people I've given time to that never made any response at all. So even though it's it's nice to see some wins, it, life is mostly like in this world. It's mostly losses, <laughs> you know? Um, but again, that's what just makes it all the more intriguing mm -hmm. to me. There's a strange kind of graciousness too with the, the unbelieving world. I mean, m my non-believing friends, I feel like are... I don't know, less judgmental. They're, they tend to be, they're sort of unpredictable, which is, mm -hmm. keeps life interesting. Yeah. And uh, maybe I feel more gracious toward them as well. Some of the, some of the mm -hmm. tensions I feel with Christians, you know, I, I, you know, I read a lot. And so I'm, I just, I'm com more comfortable reading non-Christian books than I am reading Christian books sort of stress me out. Yeah. I struggle to read Christian books, but I'm happy to read other people's point of view yeah. because I don't, I don't know, maybe I don't have so much. That's why Cheryl and I, when game. we go out on a date night, we always would pick non-Christian people. To go with. Well, we found it was just funner because there was, <laughs> we, if we took a Christian couple, we kind of knew what the conversation was going to do. We didn't have to read the book. <laughs> Non-Christians, it just, it's a, it's a know. mystery what you're going to, 
why not do that? I mean, if I'm going to spend money on dinner and entertainment, I'm going to pick some non-Christian friends. I think if I think if there was one, if there was one thing I could sort of change in the minds of Christians to see them moved more toward a life of mission and evangelism, it would be this this secret joy thing. It would be that if they really knew that there's this is this is some of the sweetest kind of ministry that you can do, uh-huh. and you can really be bad at it actually, and you still feel the pleasure of God mm-hmm. when you're doing it. You still uh-huh. feel His presence in like this powerful, tangible way. And you can you can suck at it actually. There's nothing else like that in ministry yeah. that I know of. And if it works, you kind of have to give God the, the credit because <laughs> totally, it's such yeah. a, like in other it's things you can sort of yeah. take the credit. If the small group Bible right. study goes great, you kind of go. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of really good tonight. When evangelism movement happens, you literally have a humble sense that, mm. yeah, I couldn't have pulled that one Look off. God, so yeah. I do picture Jesus, though. Like when you start talking about the joy, I think the reason why I get so joyful about time with lost people, I do picture the Savior like that. Mm. So the stories that, I don't know why we don't tell these stories more, but, you know, Jesus with Levi or. Mm. You know, I mean, those would have been amazing places to watch Jesus, who is this humble, he is the holy man, and yet he's with the least holy, and he's having dinner, and to, like to try to picture what his face would have been like. We, we talk about whimsical holiness, where you can be around people that uh, cuss way too much and have one too many, and you can picture Jesus just kind of being able to smirk mm. and keep the conversation mm. going, Rolling. knowing yeah, he just yeah. rolls because he knows way more about them than they do. Mm. To me, that's the evangelistic joy. So, Leanne, you have any questions? Yeah, I, I did have a question. Um, I was wondering, um, when it comes to working with non-Christians often or being around them, living, you know, having community with them, um, at least for me, I find myself often, you know, my convictions waver or feeling just a sense of like drawing more towards that. And I wanted to know how do you really hold, how how, you, how do you stay anchored in your convictions and you don't slide or you don't, you know, try to look more like them yeah. when you are in those places all the time? Yeah, well, you, you know, even with the blokes at the house, you know, if they're enjoying the whiskey at the whiskey cabinet, um, you know, I know that if I go overboard then I have no pretend I mean why would they look at anything different if I'm not different so um, in that sense I think there's a soberness when you're with people that may not live like you live or believe like you you know Um, but I've also learned there's never a change of behavior till there's a change of heart so um, I don't have to be fearful of other people's behavior I actually believe that I think most evangelicals we were taught to fear people's behavior like that would rub off on us um, and I think there, there is potentially the case to be made that when you're weaker in conscience, so, you know, if you're a college student and you, you go, yeah, when that stuff happens, I tend to fall into that, then yeah, um, then I think you have to have some accountability around that. But uh, I think evangelism is based on a maturing lifestyle that you go, I don't have to fear these people. If they're from other religions, whatever, um, I don't have to fear that, you know, that if Jesus is leading me into mission, wherever I am at is the safest place to be. Um, And so I bring something into the culture. So the gospel is actually a culture we transition into the world's culture. So we're literally supposed to trump the world's culture with the gospel culture 
and part of that is self-control. So um, if we as Christians go, oh, look, the world's uh, dark and scary and bad, and so we're going to come away from the world um, based on holiness, so holiness would be removing ourselves from the world, I think we're missing the point of Jesus. Like even when he prays over us as disciples, I pray that you not take them out of the world, Father, but protect them by the evil one. Like Jesus wants us in dangerous spots. So I just, I just go, it's, a, it's an orientation that as you mature, you should be deeper and deeper into the people of the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's reps. Yeah. But it's not just reps, it's accountability, it's mm. community. So when people would say, you know, how have you remained safe in all that? I go, Tina, I always got, most of the time that I'm doing my thing, I've got my Christian brothers and sisters around. So, mm. um, and even if we're out in the world, be it a restaurant, a baseball game, a, an actual party at somebody else's house, whatever it is, I usually have my mates around. So there's, and I think that's why Jesus sent us, even evangelistically, into the world together is yeah there's some danger to it for sure that's an interesting idea too that maybe the the more mature we get in our faith in jesus the more effective we can be in evangelism so it 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 almost feels like the converse of that is true like when you were young and when it was fresh for you that's when you then the older you get the less time you spend with non-believers the the more you understand the scriptures the more time you've spent maturing or or cultivating holiness in your own life the more distant you become from the lost world. And that's when they need us most, maybe, when yes. we have... Because it does strike me that you, in particular, have a deep sense of self. You you are who you are, no matter the audience. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's some, something, some part of the secret sauce for you, too, is that you, you, you never strike me as somebody that is in danger because you're now with non-believers. Like, they're going to somehow suck you into yeah. their the vortex of their sin or something because part of it is you know who you are yeah, like right? even like i i always use the example of me taking yoga classes yes you do. when people yeah. free i know it's yeah. an awkward thing to picture me in <laughs> my little leotards or whatever I, but I like it yeah but so many people i use that specifically because people went no christians should not be there rolling out a mat with these people that are doing these postures that are from the pit of hell <laughs> And I can tell you, every time I rolled out my mat, I literally, it was a prayer to God, and it was a thank you for giving me space with these people. Most of them are just middle-aged house moms that have no idea. But yeah, every once in a while, there's, you know, Swami next to me that I can tell is really bowing down to, and I still feel so safe rolling my mat out next to him. Um, and yeah, that might be a maturity thing or... But we carry in us the body of Christ mm-hmm. where we go. And that's where people find faith. So, you know, I've had some yoga instructors not come to faith. And I've had some of their friends come to faith. So if I'm not in those environments, then I, you know, that stuff probably doesn't happen. I, I guess, too, part of what, part of why I'm really, I love you and I'm intrigued by you is that you're, you do sort of break the mold a little bit in terms of what, what an evangelist even looks like. I mean, you're, you're introverted. You're not a people pleaser. Um, you know, you're not, you're not Louis Palau. You're not, you're not, you don't even like preaching that much. Mm-hmm. So, and yet, this is your heart. And it, it feels to me like it opens up somehow the door for, other, for ordinary people who don't want to preach or don't want to get up in front of 
an audience that that's not how they want to express their commitment to God, um, who maybe are introverted, who like to be alone. How, you know, is, how could that be possible that you, you could be such a raving evangelist and yet you, you're an introvert, you like to be alone? I just think that breaks the mold yeah. a little bit. Well, but I still like to have conversations. And to me, evangelism is yeah. always a running conversation. Yeah. Never had anybody come to faith in one talk. Sure. And so I, even though I may not want to always be with people, I do enjoy a good conversation. Yeah. And uh, most conversations are less than an hour. I can manage that. You know, <laughs> I go recover later. Um, but yeah, to me, evangelism has felt very natural. It's over time. Most honestly, Brian, most people who have come to faith in my life were a two to five year story. Mm. So we're talking about hundreds of conversations, experiences, and it just happened along the way. So I don't actually have to try to go mm. be evangelistic. I just try to live well, mm. and um, the you know having micro church, you know, as a way of life. That's where it kind of happens. If I don't have a natural community of people on mission with, I don't know if these evangelistic stories happen. Hmm. But a lot of them happen because I got other people that are in the lives of my friends too. So it's not all me hmm. having to have 119 conversations before somebody steps over the faith line. Hmm. Sometimes I just create a great dinner and I find that one of my buddies is the one that really locks in with one of my friends. And, and I'm, I'm a part of that, but... You know, so really, to me, evangelism should be the least pressure-filled experience. Yeah, and there's a patience to it too, yeah. isn't there? You're you're willing to go to yeah, two so to I go, five let's, years. Let's call someone. evangelism good newsing people, which means inviting them into our good news life. So, mm -hmm. I say to be evangelistic, live a good life, enjoy your life, like be, have the type of life other people would want to around you with mm. you know people liked our family they they liked my wife my kids my girls are crazy um so if i just let people come over usually stuff would happen Excellent. so you might as i mean none of your friends ever come to faith i think you shouldn't fear that but you should fear if your life's never been good news like worry about that it's mm. um, good if there's really one thing that you could change um, in the missional, you know, Western church culture, what, what would that be as far as moving their hearts towards the lost? Hmm. I would say, well, I would say if there's one thing I try to get people to do to help them start to be evangelistic, I'd say learn how to throw a good party. Like hmm. that's, the, that's the starting we have identified, and Cheryl and I have talked through so many of our friends, the very first invite. So we do have to invite. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. So we're, we're supposed to intentionally bring people together to bring people to God. And that was always, hey, um, you guys free Friday night? Cheryl and I would love to have you come over, meet a few of our friends, just hear your story. That invite was the beginning of every evangelistic story. So I go, don't do evangelism training. Don't. Get the reps of being with people. Throw, learn how to throw a party. Hmm. Good food, great conversation. You don't need alcohol. You can drink chocolate milk, whatever. Just create social space where people can just be themselves. And and then the goal of the party is that they'll want to party again. That's and just if you would just keep moving from there to there, I think you'd find that people will open up their lives and 
don't try to talk about Christianity or Christians. Try to talk about the king and the kingdom. And that usually transcends all the garbage that they tie to us. So, You, you have a little resource, like a book about that, don't you? Well, I do, Brian. Tell, tell, tell. It's called Happy Hour. Happy Hour, yeah. That's my subtitle on that. The, the Art and Act of Holy Merriment. Good. That's good. So there we go. So that's a maybe a good challenge or next step is yeah. read that. It's a little 25-minute read. Learn, learn how to throw a good party and yep. be good news somehow in people's. Yeah, and, and I just, I guess I just, I'm thankful for you, Hugh. Um, I think every, every Christian, every believer, actually, when they live into the fullness of who God's called them to be, if you really take a deep look at them, is kind of a, a work of art. And I think that's definitely true of you. And I appreciate your, I don't know, the way you open up for me the possibilities of this this sort of misunderstood gift. You know, this misunderstood, maybe misapplied um, gift. So I'm thankful for you. Thanks, you. Thank you. <laughs> so you've traveled the U.S. One more question. Yeah. What's your favorite restaurant that you've ever been to? Favorite restaurant is called the Whistle Pig. Whistle Pig. I think there's a whiskey named after that, but it was a barbecue joint where they just carve right off an actual sow onto a piece of paper. Okay. And you just sit down with your piece of paper. There's no side dishes. It's just. You would like that. I, like I had a feeling you were going to say barbecue. Like I did. I thought barbecue. Had to be meat. Yeah. They actually had little as, real live aspen trees. So you sit amongst the aspens on a, on a log with your piece of paper and you eat meat. It's wow. awesome. Perfect. That's great. So check that out. All right. Thanks, you. All right. Cool. This was episode three of the Underground Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can catch all of our episodes on iTunes or on our website at tampaunderground.com slash podcast. Be sure to stay tuned next time. We'll be discussing the art of storytelling, as well as interviewing PJ Asaturo, who's creating a documentary on the Underground Network.